This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everyone to the Domestic Supply Chain Summit. I'm Thomas Watson, trucking expert here at Freight Waves. Super excited to uh, be bringing on uh, Jared uh, Weisfeld, Chief Strategy Officer at RXO for the keynote. This is the Domestic Supply Chain keynote of course. And what we're going to be talking about today is the outlook for 2024. I know right now, uh, those of you watching this, it's December. And so, uh, you know, the big thing on top, top of everyone's mind is going to be, well, what's going to be going on for next year. So, uh, Jared, super excited to have you on. A lot of good stuff to go over as well. When we're talking about this. Uh, for folks who are unaware, tell us a little about your background and experience, Arch. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Thomas. So I joined about uh, a year ago at RxO, right when we spun from our former parent uh, XPO, and I'm the chief strategy officer of the company. Uh, prior to RxO, I spent a lot of my uh, career in the technology sector. So uh, I think the opportunity at RxO was incredibly compelling after getting to know the team and seeing all the investments that RxO has made in technology over the last decade when uh, ever since Brad bought Express One back in 2011 and really infusing artificial intelligence and machine learning into our systems uh, really was truly impressive, which is why uh, I ended up joining the company. And, you know, looking into technology has been one of the big words of 2023 is opportunity, but it's also been kind of a, a little bit rough depending upon what side of the supply chain you're in. Uh, for a recap of 2023 and with your experience, uh, what are some of the biggest uh, biggest headwinds that you've been hearing uh, as we have went throughout this year? Yeah, so entering the year, I think um, the inventory positions for a lot of the retail and e-commerce customers were, were certainly elevated. I think that's been certainly w worked down as the year progressed and are in much healthier positions. But I think inventory level uh, levels were of concern. I think the sustainability of the health of the consumer, a lot of headwinds facing the consumer entering 2023. Uh, and I'd say lastly, the the rate of carrier exits. So there's there's still too much capacity in the market from a trucking standpoint, and uh, the, the capacity has been pretty stubborn to come out. So I think the capacity exits relative to the baseline level of demand really were, were all head, um, concerns that that were out there for 2023. And I, I'd say, let me lastly throw another one in there, you know, the mix shift between goods and services, right? During COVID, Everyone honestly stuck inside their homes. And uh, after COVID, there was this mix shift to experiences and goods, travel, hotel, uh, airfare, tickets and experiences. So I think, um, you know, that finally we started to see some civilization. But I think entering the year, uh, not only were there questions on consumer health, but even if the consumer is going to spend, what are they going to spend on? Yeah, that's a great point, because especially uh, looking at the consumer's impact, we're seeing higher interest rates, tighter credit. Uh, they're still spending, though, which, uh, you know, in spite of everything else, when I'm looking at it, part of me wonders if it's a race between consumers changing between goods and services, if these experiences and travel vacations are going to be going by the wayside and then maybe spending on more goods. When we're looking into that in the 23 and even into the 24, does it feel like kind of a seesaw situation or are we just waiting for one to drop before the other? 
Yeah, I, I think we have stabilized uh, for the first time in, uh, in in over a year now. We've actually seen goods uh, stabilize and increase ever so slightly as a percentage of that mix. So I think that goes to speak to uh, one, I think that the health of the consumer's balance sheet post-COVID is in a better position when you think about uh, you think about just all of the inventory that was uh, consumed during COVID and you know, you're know you on uh, retail and e-commerce websites, you're purchasing a lot of goods, you then have to digest that inventory, right? So I think we're, we're finally on the other side of that. And I think from a services standpoint, I think that the consumer was, uh, was certainly spending uh, robustly on services and as a function of consuming significant amount of services over the last couple of years, Combined with the fact that services inflation has actually been pretty sticky, you know, go look at the cost of the of a concert ticket versus uh, versus pre COVID, it's substantially higher, right? So I think that all of that is uh, played into uh, I think good stabilizing and increasing ever so slightly uh, as a percentage of the mix, which is certainly good for the uh, for the freight economy. That's what it felt like. It was a battle between carrier exits or if we're going to actually have enough freight volumes to cover it. Or looking at as well destocking and inventory normalization. That's another big topic in the supply chain. Demand planners are probably still uh, awake up at night trying to figure out what the the algorithm or what we're going to use to calculate it. Uh, do you think this is a situation where we're still not out of the woods uh, because of this big bubble, or is this something where we can look back finally at 2023 and say, well, at least I have an idea of what some normalization looks like in the 24? Yeah, it's it's a great point. We are in a much healthier position from a retail e-commerce inventory position perspective. So when you think about uh, you think about the last three to four quarters consecutively, you know, if you look at all of the largest retailers in North America, their revenue growth has outpaced the inventory dollar growth for three to four quarters now. So we're entering in 2024 with a significantly better inventory position. Now, of course, I think we need to all watch the impacts of interest rates and resumption of student debt repayments and unemployment uh, because I think the health of the consumer is particularly important. You can have inventory levels at a reasonable position, but if aggregate demand takes a step function lower, those inventories can be bloated pretty quickly. But certainly as we stand here today, we're in a much better position heading into 2024 with respect to inventory. Looking at sectors and uh, areas, if there's any that you are able to talk about or look at, do we have any potential winners or losers as uh, we're moving into this? Is there something that folks in the supply chain uh, should pay close attention to? I even think of automotive, for instance, uh, where, you know, in spite of the fact there were labor strikes, they still some of these companies had a, quite a bit of healthy inventory to work through. Yeah, so, so uh, maybe taking it by vertical, retail e-commerce, like we said, I think in much better position heading into 2024. We've had that work down. You know, with respect to automotive, you know, obviously have the impacts associated with the UAW strike and what that meant from a production perspective. So that likely had the impact of working down some inventory. But to your point, uh, production levels from an automotive perspective have remained uh, have remained pretty healthy. So I think that's that's something to to note. Uh, especially despite this higher rate environment, you've seen pretty robust auto SAR production. So I think uh, I think that's encouraging. You know, when we look at our business, you know, the one vertical that did show some deceleration on a year-on-year basis, although still grew for us uh, in the third quarter, was industrial and manufacturing. So it still grew, but at a lesser rate. But I think that's consistent with the overall industrial economy uh, in contractionary territory for 2023, as measured by the, the ISM and the um, and the production surveys that are out there. So I think that's something to watch into 2024 in terms of the health of the industrial economy. And looking at that health of the industrial economy, part of me wonders if uh, with the nearshoring trends, uh, we may have to look at a situation out 
uh, looking south or north to see if that will give us more volumes. Uh, you know, kind of looking out of the 2024, I know that nearshoring is a big thing to talk about. Does that impact our domestic supply chain in such a large way? Uh, or is that something that maybe it's more of a wait and see and find out and adjust as we? Yeah, it, it can. I mean, I certainly think that nearshoring is real and it is a much more longer term consideration and implication. And I think it's a very positive development for the freight economy uh, in the United States. Uh, you know, when I think about nearshoring for for us, we've got a very large facility down in Laredo, Texas, effectively um, Laredo, Texas, at the heart of the um, uh, at the heart of the nearshoring movement. So I think that is that is very uh, strategic that we have uh, that facility. And I think we are seeing, especially in automotive, uh, an increased ability and increased willingness to adopt nearshoring down uh, down south of the border. So we'll see how that continues out over. Uh, in heading into 2024. I think that'll be a tailwind, but I think that's probably more of a longer term tailwind for the industry when you think about just bringing back manufacturing into the United States uh, and in North America. I feel like now right now we're in the bottom of the freight cycle. Uh, depending upon who you ask, it could be months uh, until we do see something that would resemble an upswing, but it's still, in my opinion, capacity driven. Tough call, of course. But looking at the what would the bottom and an upswing look like, if any, or is this something that we kind of have to wait and look in the rearview mirror as we're looking into game plan? Yeah, I, I think for RXO, I mean, we need to be prepared for a variety of different scenarios. The way we're thinking about it is, to your point, I mean, it's uncertain heading into 2024 what the shape of that recovery looks like. Is it a V? Is it a U? Is it a W? Is it an L? Right? There are a lot of forms that it can take. I think it comes down to supply and demand. What will be the rate of carrier attrition, carrier exits heading into 2024, and what will the impact uh, associated with higher interest rates, student debt repayments, uh, potentially higher unemployment be on the consumer, and the impact to aggregate demand? So uh, to your point, it certainly feels like uh, spot rates are closer to a bottom than not, and I think that is a function of just where spot rates are relative to carrier costs, right? It's, it's, it's unsustainable, untenable at these levels. So I think um, that is that is a consideration. But I think that the shape of the recovery in terms of how steep it is, uh, is, is still too to be determined based on how supply and demand uh, falls out into next year. I feel like that's the billion dollar question is, uh, especially in the supply chain, the ability and capacity, uh, not only for carriers, but even on the intermodal front, you see rail operators are trying to gain more market share. They're trying to catch back up because they did lose some to truckload. Uh, looking at another trend into 2024, uh, by modal wise, is this something as well that we may need to have on our radar? Is uh, in spite of even if there is a truckload recovery, maybe intermodal is just creeping in the wings and you'd have to adjust if you're a carrier. Each. Um, maybe. I mean, it, it's a fair point. I mean, I think when we, when we look into 2024, um, I think there are a number of opportunities for RXO to capitalize on the momentum. I think fr from our standpoint, it comes down to ensuring that we are delivering exceptional service with the best technology, where even if you can have potential modal shifts on a year-on-year -year basis, if you know, you're using this time like we are to get closer to our customers and really ensure we understand what their needs are, giving them the service and the technology that they expect, uh, we expect to go ahead and continue to outperform from a volume standpoint, which we've seen in 2023. You know, we've been significantly outgrowing the industry in Q3 alone. Right, our volume was up 18% year on year, full truckload up 13% year on year versus a market that was probably down mid to high single digits in Q3. So I think uh, I think your point is fair, but I think you know it, it's on us to ensure that we are going ahead and uh, and investing in the business and we are positioning ourselves to respond to our customer needs. 
And I feel like execution is key anyway, regardless of market conditions. You know, as long as you're executing and you're building trust, then everything else will follow. Uh, hidden opportunities. 2024 has got a lot of things to think about, especially if you're within the supply chain. Uh, is there anything that you're keeping an eye on or you think that some things are going under the radar that may be towards the middle or tail of 24? This is something that maybe we should have been talking about earlier. Yeah, so I think uh, to the earlier point, capacity exits, I think all eyes on capacity exits heading into 2024. Uh, for us, I think also looking at trends and opportunities into next year, continuing to invest in technology, right? I mean, at the heart of our platform is you know significant technology investment that we've made since day one of the business, leveraging pricing algorithms, which we believe are, are best in class from an industry perspective. Continuous improvement on innovation, right? You, you have to use the downturn. You have to use the soft part of the freight cycle to continue to invest and get closer to our customers, uh, which is what we've been doing. So I think ensuring that you're doing that, servicing the freight, I think is really important. And I think that'll allow outperformance into 2024. So, you know, when I look at trends into next year, I think capacity exits, continuing investment in technology and in people, and then certainly we'll keep an eye out on the, the main variables that you expect us to look at in terms of spot rates, industry capacity, load to truck ratio, et cetera. I think that can uh, do- dovetail into the pitfalls. And before we hit RFPs, I think the technology aspect is important. I hear anecdotally from folks, uh, you know, this is expensive. We should have, uh, you know, oh, is this not giving the ROI? I put all this funds in it. Do you think that there is a real risk, a pitfall that you drop out when maybe you should have pushed through with that tech change uh, and actually been in that position to for the next boom? Yeah, I, I think it, it's a great point. You you have to continue to invest in the entire platform, people and technology crawl across all aspects of the freight cycle. Uh, by not doing that, you're not going to be positioned strategically when the cycle inflects. Right? We, we did this during COVID uh, as, as a great example. When, when COVID hit, we counter-cyclically invested and we invested aggressively in the sales force. And then subsequently, we tripled our EBITDA on the upturn. So I think, you know, using that as an example... I mean, we're taking this opportunity to ensure that we are strategically investing in the business, playing offense to ensure that we are continuing to grow volume with best in class margin, and then ensuring that the business is adequately prepared for that upturn. Um, to your point, you have to continue to invest technology. And it's not just one thing, right? It's continuous improvement on the platform. And looking at RFPs, this is something that, uh, from my experiences with pricing as well, I feel like this may be one of the more scarier times. You got your traditional big RFP season with the holidays. You got your awards in January. As we're approaching 24, if we're getting awards right now in January, is there is this a potential pitfall as well if you get in this mindset where you're saying you don't diversify your margin portfolio, your customer mix, that you may go underwater by the middle to end of the year if there is an inflation? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think you have to be very strategic and very thoughtful when entering in any type of contract that has duration. You think about RxO, our contracts are generally 12 months in nature um, with respect to our shippers. We deal with the largest shippers in North America, Fortune 100, Fortune 500. So I think it's, um, you know, it's it's a two-way conversation. Like we are, we are very flexible in terms of ensuring that we understand our customer needs and we understand that ultimately the market will swing from one direction to another. So I think it's a, I think it's a good point uh, in terms of entering into this RFP season for 2024 as you think about the different variables that are under consideration. I think you need to be very thoughtful. You need to ensure that you are properly balancing your view of the market and what it means uh, with respect to entering an RFP season as it relates to contract pricing. And one of those things I know, the, the conversations as well with shippers, having them, uh, I do wonder, given your experience of being able to, you know, have these conversations, 
Uh, is this something that is this a technology or is this a market intelligence thing where shippers are they being more responsive? I've seen in the past when I started in 14, uh, it always felt like it was a pendulum. You'd have certain shippers just asking for cuts and cuts and cuts until they hit the bone. Uh, are we seeing changes in this behavior now that there is better technology being provided, better operators and yeah, you know, it, it's interesting on the pricing side, technology is such an important part, but it's also ensuring that you understand your customer, right? It, it's it's as, it's an art as much as it is a science, right? So I think uh, technology helps lower the barriers of, uh, of information for sure. But I think you also, at least from an RxO standpoint, we're very flexible, right? When we entered into the downturn uh, earlier last year, I mean, we had many conversations with our customers in terms of trying to proactively get ahead of uh, get a, get ahead of it. When you think about just what that means for uh, our contract business in the context of a market that's loosening from a from a purchase transportation standpoint, right? So it's it's a two way conversation that we're always having with our customers because we're trying to go ahead and and maximize value over the lifetime of our customer. We're not looking at any you know six to twelve month period. Uh, obviously, we'll we'll manage for for the cycle, but you know our value proposition with our customer is one that is rooted in deep long term relationships. Our top twenty customers have been with us for 15 years on average, right? That doesn't happen by accident. I think that kind of builds into, I wanted to go back into uh, one of the game plans moving forward. If you're purchase transportation, manage transportation in the three and four PL space, is this a situation where uh, customers are continuing? We've seen this trend with the pandemic where on the RFPs, you're getting loads and freight that traditionally used to be only in the truckload domain. Has this opened up that ability for shippers to diversify their mix more into uh, three and four PLs, or is there any concern for operators who are not as tech savvy, not as good at execution that that door may close a little bit, and then maybe those truckload carriers waiting in the wings? Uh, is that ever something that's top of mind? Is that something to watch? So, I want to make sure I understand. So, we're talking about shippers adopting three PL as a strategy. Yeah, from a total mix. So, you know, if you have your mix, you normally your your incumbent carriers are going to give three PLs a certain cut of your mix. Is this something where, uh, with the pandemic, we've seen? an opening up of that. There's been more volumes awarded. Uh, is that a trend that's likely to continue to 24 or is there any fear for, uh, you know, some folks who are underperforming or unprepared? I, I, think that's a, I think that's a trend from an industry standpoint that not, not only continues into 24, but it's going to continue over the long term. I mean, if you look at brokerage penetration as a percentage of the four higher truckload market, you know, we estimate uh, about a year ago or so, it was about low 20%. That's up from high single digits to 10% uh, a decade ago, right? So, 3PL brokerage penetration as a percentage of the four higher truckload market continues to increase. And we think that is structural in nature, right? If you're a shipper, you get access to, to better technology, get access to uh, incredible service, more flexibility, right? There's a reason why brokerage and 3PL continues to gain share. We think that penetration can increase to 40 to 50% over the long term as a percentage of that $400 billion four higher truckload market. And we think that RxO is going to be a, a winner in that scenario. I do wonder, I'm fearful if some of the large carriers on the truckload side haven't picked up on that trend uh, to watch for because the technology uh, has really allowed 3PLs and even 4PLs to open that. So I wonder if that's something where on the flip side, if you're a carrier, maybe you should start investing in that tech stack real quick because these shippers are expecting more and they can see it being. It, it, it's, a, it's a great point, Thomas. And I mean, you think about our our tech investments and how we think about them holistically, right? We invest in our technology really across three main cohorts, our people, 
our carriers and our shippers, right? We want to make sure that our people internally have the access to the best technology to improve their productivity. We want to make sure that our carriers have access to RxO Drive, which we believe is the best mobile app that's out there, giving access to you know real time loads, ability to bid real time, uh, and then on, on the on the shipper side, going ahead and ensuring that we are integrated with our shippers uh, on a real time basis. I mean, ninety seven percent of our loads are created or covered digitally in the most recent quarter. So, you know, embracing technology, but doing it in a way that marries it with people, I think is really critical in terms of how we think about the evolution of the industry. And talking about not only shipper penetration by 3PLs, but carrier penetration. There's so many carriers, small fleets, owner operators trying to get access to grow your carrier network. Do you think that may be another large trend as well in 24 is a battle of who can provide the platform, the product that the carriers can use in addition to the freight and then have that stickiness as we're moving into other. I, I entirely agree in terms of, you know, you look at on our side, you know, our percentage of, so I talked about 97% of loads uh, created or covered digitally. It's much higher on the shipper side. We're dealing with the largest shippers in North America. I think there's tremendous white space ahead of us to see continued adoption of technology uh, on the carrier side. I think that there there is a significant opportunity ahead. I totally agree with that. And going to leading indicators, uh, things to watch for cycle swings, you know, load to truck ratios, rejection rates, uh, you know, as you all manage the business, the day to day, the month, the month and the forecast, what are some of the big leading indicators you all are looking for to start telling us which way the wind is turning? Yep. Capacity exits. Uh, you hit it. We talked about this a little bit. I mean, that is something that uh, I look at every day, every month in terms of understanding uh, the rate of capacity exits. We've seen capacity exit you know, basically every single month in terms of net revocations since October of last year. That's encouraging, but not yet at the pace that's required to bring that load to truck ratio uh, above where it is right now, which is about three to one, right? The long-term average of a load to truck ratio is about four to one. You'll start seeing the spot market reemerge when we start seeing that, you know, punch up above four to one, five to one, six to one. So I think we're looking at load to truck ratio. We're looking at, um, we're certainly looking at carry capacity exits. And then we're looking at tender rejection rates. We saw tender rejection rates increase from an industry perspective, um, in Q3, probably to the mid-single-digit percentage range, but you know, to the extent that spot recovery occurs and loads or truck ratio tightens, could that get back to you know mid to high single digits for a healthier market? I think those are all the indications that we're looking for. I think that's an opportunity as well. If you're a, if you're a company, and you're looking at tender rejection rates in certain markets, and you know that you have customers you can solicit. Uh, that could bring a potential advantage or pitfall, depending upon if you do have the tech and the capacity. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, when we, we look at RxO, I mean, we have access to a million and a half trucks and over 100,000 carriers. And I think this goes back to the point that you were talking about earlier. You know, why does 3PL, why does brokerage continue to gain share as a percentage of the four higher truckload market? And it's because the shippers have access to massive amount of capacity. So when a shipper comes to us, they have the ability to tap into an incredibly dense network of capacity where we're able to go ahead and match them with the best carrier for that particular route. So having access to that massive capacity, an aggregator of capacity, leveraging the best in class technology with the best service, that's what it's all about. Final thoughts here. I got to wrap it up here. But uh, for for 2024, what y'all are working on, most exciting thing uh, you would say if there's one thing to keep top of mind as yeah, so, so heading into 2024, you know, our game plan remains the same, right? We're using this downturn to get closer to our customers and continuing to strategically invest in the business. And if I had to leave you with one thought, I'd leave you with that. You know, we continue to execute, significantly outgrow the industry from a volume perspective with best-in-class margins, and we're doing it while we're strategically investing in the business. If you wait for the upturn, 
you're going to be too late, right? You need to ensure that you're using this opportunity right now to get closer to your customers, strategically invest in the business. So you're prepared for that eventual market inflection. And if folks want to learn more about RxO or get in contact, what's the best way? Absolutely. Go to rxo.com. All the information uh, is right there and uh, more than happy to help. Perfect, Jared. Really appreciate your time. Phenomenal talk as well. A lot of stuff to digest, a lot of stuff to look at moving into 2024. Uh, we'll definitely keep have to keep a finger on the pulse and uh, and see how it develops. Thank you so much, Thomas. Really appreciate uh, you having me on. That's going to be a wrap for our keynote, but don't worry, folks. A lot more great content coming up at this Domestic Supply Chain Summit.